Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sizzling is the nothing personal word of the day. It is Tuesday, December 6th. I hope you missed me yesterday because I did. But Coca's back, which means we're back. Sizzling is, I, I, I don't like that word actually. Sizzling is supposed to mean like food, like fajitas. When things are sizzling, they're hot, they're cooking. We use that word in baseball during the winter. We call it the hot stove. I ask people in baseball why it's called that. I have no answer. No one has answers. Somebody out there may. But I guess I have to tell you the hot stove is definitely sizzling because every other minute I'm getting a call from CBS. Breaking news. Let's go. Another player signed. We did a special show Friday just for Mets fans. That's the only fans I was trying to talk to on Friday night when I tried to tell Mets fans how happy you should be that Jacob DeGrom is a Texas Ranger. When you have a player who has an unrealistic demand and you give in to that unrealistic demand, no matter how big your payroll is, you are going to lose at the end of the day. Because there's a limited amount of times that even the biggest markets and the best teams can overpay. Jacob DeGrom says he wants five years. He gets five years from Texas. See you later. Let that beat someone else's problem. What the Mets did after losing DeGrom is exactly what you want your front office to do when you've got one of the biggest payrolls in the game, one of the richest owners in the game, and a team that's ready to win. You pivot and you sign the next Max Scherzer. That, of course, is Justin Verlander. Mets fans, instead of having Scherzer and DeGrom, now have Scherzer and Verlander. Are you happy? You shouldn't be. Yet, because what the Mets did by pivoting to go from DeGrom to Verlander is they stayed exactly where they are. We talked about this on CBS HQ right after the signing. I am happy that Steve Cohn made this signing. Mets fans should be too. Is Verlander a $43 million player? No. Is he as good as Max Scherzer? Yes. Is Scherzer a $43 million player? No. Should either Scherzer or DeGrom, uh, excuse me, or Verlander be getting two guaranteed years the way Verlander got? Probably not. Do you think Verlander will have as good a season for the Mets in 2023 as he had for the Astros in 2022? It was his best year ever. 
signing players at the height of their performance almost guarantees that you are paying for a regression. If you want to be a good team, no matter your payroll, you are trying to pay for progression, not regression. Signing a player after their best moment. I'm talking to you, Yankees and Aaron Judge, which we're going to talk about later. But signing a player after their best moment, that's generally not going to work for you. So the Mets take Verlander. They lose DeGrom. Does that mean they're in the same place? Basically, yes. The reason the Mets are not wearing rings on their fingers the way Steve Cohn wants them to wear rings on their fingers is, if you recall, during last year's playoffs, they did not have enough bats. So they're talking to Nemo, bring him back. Maybe they're going to get one of the shortstops. Oh, no, they've got one already in Lindor. Maybe they're going to get a great outfielder. When you are putting your team together during the winter, you are doing it in two ways. You're doing your batting order, you're doing your pitching rotation, you're doing your defensive alignment, you're counting at bats and you're counting innings. That may sound crazy, but if you think about it, there's 27 outs to get 162 times. There's nine innings to pitch 162 times. You actually allocate which pitchers are going to pitch how many innings, and that's your expectation. Then when the season ends, you go back and look at what you actually needed to get through those 162 games. Let's say you've got top five starters. You have Scherzer, Verlander. You're expecting 30 starts from each. Let's say they average six innings a start. That's 180 innings each. That's 360 innings for those two pitchers. If it doesn't work out that way, which pitchers took up those innings that were required? With runs batted in, with runs scored. We did it with runs scored, most teams do. You wanna score X number of runs. Where is that run generation going to come from? And you go through and you go through your lineup and you figure out here's what we need and here's the help we can get. Remember we talked about DeGrom and the Rangers They won 68 games. They have to make up 38 games on the Astros, 28 games on the Mariners. You look at what DeGrom brings to the table, you always assume the best when you're doing your calculations. That is the perilous nature of the offseason and the feel-good part of the offseason is that when front offices are calculating performance, they're calculating it as though there's no injuries and that everything goes at the best possible level that it could. So when the Mets are calculating what Verlander does for their team, they are calculating a season like 2022. But when DeGrom is being calculated what he'll do for Texas, they're calculating a full 23, not a half 22. So they're calculating what he did for half of 22, he'll do it all of 23. It is the rose-colored glasses that front offices use, and they do it because that's what owners want. Owners want to hear upside. They want to know how close they are to a World Series, what their chances are of making the playoffs, what the rotation will look like, how much money to leave in the budget to add people at the deadline. All of these things, the trade deadline, all of these things are what's being discussed. So the winter meetings happen. All of these baseball people are in one place in San Diego. And this is when agents and the union are at their best. 
Have you ever tried to manipulate someone in a relationship or in a work relationship or in a personal relationship? The best way to manipulate someone is to get them to feel as though they need something that they don't necessarily need at that moment. But you want them to take it at that moment. You want them to say something at that moment. So you give them that sense of urgency. However false it is, that's what the union and agents try to do. How does that manifest itself? Do you think that when DeGrom went to Texas, the call didn't come in from Verlander's agent to Billy Epler saying, hey, you lost to Grom. You can't afford to lose Verlander too. What are you gonna, your big off season is gonna be putting Rodon in the top of the rotation? That's who you're gonna match with Scherzer? Is that your plan? What are you gonna bring back Carrasco and say that's your new number two starter? Or Walker? Like, is that what you're doing? So they call and all of a sudden Billy Epler says, oh my God, my job's at stake. I've got to go to my owner and say, listen, we were smart not to match DeGrom's fifth year. No reason to do it, but we got to get Verlander right now. Verlander says, give me three. The Mets say, we're not going to give you three, but instead of giving you a two-year deal, if you're healthy for two years, we'll give you that third year. It doesn't mean you have to be good. You just have to pitch and you can vest into it. We'll do it like with an innings pitched. So just stay healthy. No more, no third Tommy John, and then we'll give you that third year. Great. Done? Yes. Hold on. Let me speak to Kate Upton. Yes, we want to live in New York. It's that fast. That's how Verlander gets signed. That's why teams need players to make decisions so they can figure out what their plan B is. It's possible the Mets always had Verlander as a plan B to DeGrom. That's why they were e able to easily pivot, but that doesn't explain why they had to bring Verlander all the way to Scherzer's 43. Ah, because Verlander said, I'm not gonna be the second highest paid pitcher on your staff. I'm the reigning Cy Young Award winner. I've got a World Series ring and I had a sub two ERA. That means that I have to be the highest paid. The Mets say, we're not going above Scherzer. But what got Scherzer to 43 in the per first place? It was totally random. That's the creepage that the union loves to see. All of a sudden, the higher end salaries get higher. They creep just a little more. A $43 million player, unheard of. And now there's two on the Mets. So what happens when Verlander signs with the Mets? Now, all of a sudden, you've got other teams looking for pitching, and they're saying, now we're down to Rodon. Now we're going to have to offer him that sixth year because there's four teams that want him and we can't be the one left holding the bag because the owner walks in to the suite at the winter meetings or picks up the phone and calls his baseball people and says, don't let us be the people who lose the game of musical chairs. That is what happens in these front offices. It's the insecurity of being the last team without a place to sit. That's exactly what's happening in the shortstop market, by the way. Word comes out yesterday. Uh, actually, it was not yesterday, Coco. It was while you were gone, maybe four days ago, that the Philadelphia Phillies and Dave Dombrowski, who loves to spend money, if you are a fan of a team, you want Dave Dombrowski as your president of baseball operations because he comes in and spends like a drunken sailor. He'll win and then he'll leave. 
And that's great. You get a World Series appearance. You get a World Series appearance if you're with Detroit. You get a World Series win if you're with Boston or with Florida. We'll see what in Philly you got the World Series appearance. He is very good at spending money. Bless his soul. He leaks out there that the Phillies are going to meet with all four top free agent shortstops. They're going to meet with Correa. They're going to meet with Bogarts. They're going to meet with Turner. I bet they're going to meet with Donsby Swanson too. When you are a team, the reason why you leak that is that you know who your number one choice is. There's no question about that. You've got it lined up. This was done right after the season ended, probably the day after they lost to the Astros in the World Series. They identified which shortstop they wanted and went in order. And then they had a parameter that they were willing to sign this shortstop. If only teams would stick to their parameters, but be that as it may. So they know they want Turner. However, they get out there, we're talking to all four. And what you say to the agents is, we are neutral. We need a shortstop, there's no doubt. We're gonna talk to you, we're talking to everybody else, but just keep in mind, we have no plan on an overpay. Okay, Trey Turner's agent says, well, I have an idea. I will be a Philadelphia Philly right now, except I wanna be there my entire career. I wanna be Bryce Harper. I want to be reunited with him, but that means I want a no trade clause. That means I want to be paid till I'm 40. He's 29 right now. And it means that I'm okay with going under Corey Seager at 325, but I'm going to need over 300 million. So if you're the Phillies, you then go to Carlos Correa and Scott Boris and Scott Boris says, we're not willing to say right now exactly what we want, but we believe we should be above Corey Seager. All right, we appreciate that, Boris. What do you got on uh, what do you got on Bogarts? Well, Bogarts is the best shortstop out of all of them. He's better than Turner. Look what he can do. So, what do you do when you are a team that is faced with four players or three players if you keep Swanson as a second tier shortstop, and you're being told that all three are waiting for the other? The best way to do it is overpay because what you do is you go to the player agent and you say, all right, if I wanted to sign Trey Turner today, what would I need to do? That's when you have no leverage. Can you imagine negotiating in a style that simply says, I have to have this, I can't walk away. Yet you leaked out there that you're willing to sign all the shortstops, yet Word gets out that Turner's really your number one choice. Then Turner's camp leaks out that they've had multiple meetings with the Padres. The owner of the Phillies, John Middleton, who's willing to spend stupid money, who came this close to winning the World Series, who given that is even more desperate now than he was last year and he's been desperate for years. The agents are playing him like a fiddle. Yeah, he's met multiple times with the Padres. Uh Uh-oh, Padres are going to get better. They can move Tatis to the outfield, put Turner in that lineup with Soto. Oh, my God, we're going to lose to them. You call up the Phillies and say, hey, you want to make sure that Turner doesn't go to the Padres? No problem. 300 for 11. Dombrowski calls up John Middleton, and here's the conversation, how it goes. Hey, John, we can get Turner right now. All right. What, what is it? It's 300 over 11. What is Turner worth to you? 
Dombrowski, if he's good, which he is, would say he's probably an eight-year deal. That's it. That is what we can expect in terms of production. Is he a $30 million player? Maybe. He's the best in the business. He's got speed. He's got power. He's got defense. He's got an arm. Let's even say he's a $30 million player, which I can't even believe I'm saying, but he is. All right, that's $240 million. It's going to take 300 to get him. Are you willing to pay a $60 million premium to sign Turner right now and make sure he doesn't go to the Padres? That's an owner's decision. I am all for these teams spending money. I am not all in on the tweets that you're reading, on the articles you're reading about the billions of dollars being spent in free agency, how healthy the game is, how much money teams are making. That is not the right analysis. So I want you to change your perspective. Don't look at the total amount of money spent in free agency. That is meaningless to front offices, truly. It's also meaningless to the union, and I'll explain why. You need to look at the total player payroll as a percentage of industry revenue. That is the number that the union focuses on, and that is the number that the owners focus on. The general rule of thumb is that player payroll should be no more than 50% of industry revenue or bring it down to your team. Your team's payroll should be no more than 50% of your revenue if you have any chance to make money or even break even. A team's revenue comes from national broadcasting revenue, which is the TV deals. It comes from local broadcast revenue, the local RSN deal. It comes from gate revenue, food, merchandise, parking, all the things associated with hosting a game. That is your local revenue. Add up your national revenue. Add up any revenue sharing you get from the other teams or subtract revenue sharing you have to give to the other teams. That is your annual revenue. Some teams take annual payments that are one time only, strike that Coca, for age 69. Some teams take a one-time payment, add it to their annual revenue, and pretend that's their annual revenue. Here's the example in your life. If you wake up tomorrow and find under your mattress $10,000, do you believe that your annual income has gone up by $10,000? No, you've got a $10,000 extra payment extra money to use this year. Major League Baseball about a week ago sold 15% of BAMTech, which is a company they started, they ran, they built from nothing, Bob Bowman did, and they sold the remaining 15% to Disney and each team got $30 million. That means that each team has an extra $30 million in its revenue this year, but not next year. So if you make the mistake of thinking, hey, I can sign an extra $30 million player and he's paid for, he's free this year, what am I gonna do next year? Some owners say, I'll worry about that next year. There'll be another one-time event next year. In your personal budget, in your business budget, don't ever say that a surprise revenue boost is guaranteed to happen. Don't budget for it. If it happens, great but don't assume it's gonna happen. So teams have this extra money this year, in theory, this $30 million each. They also got extra distributions because there's a collective bargaining agreement for five more years. Let me explain. 
Major League Baseball withholds money from its teams, like the national broadcast revenue. They withhold money in a separate account. They keep it as a strike slash lockout fund. They keep it in order to have a built up war chest in case they go to war with players. Once they know there's a collective bargaining agreement in place and there's quote unquote labor peace until 2027, the commissioner releases a large part of that war chest back to the teams. It is the team's money to begin with, but the commissioner has the right to decide how much of that money is gonna go to each team. The only rule is whatever you give to the Yankees, you have to give to the Marlins. It is the same amount for all 30 teams. So there are teams right now who think they are flush with cash because they've had two sources of non-annual recurring revenue. They've had the BAMTEC sale and they've had the release of the money from the strike fund. So they're spending this money. There's a calculation that they'll do with total player payroll that says, hey, we're not at 50% of our revenue because look at how big our revenue is until they get to next year. And then they've got a problem. So that is why you're seeing a lot of these signings and teams willing to say 60 million more, I'm in. Another year or two, I'll worry about it later. That's 2030. I don't even know if I'll be alive in 2030. Owners are really good at saying that. The next team that has to figure out what to do is the New York Yankees. Brian Cashman he just got a new four-year deal. It wasn't widely reported. The Yankees announced it without a press conference, no big deal. So for all of you who think Brian Cashman is the problem, you've got four more years with him. Talk about a Hall of Fame resume. He's been the GM there, what is it, since 98? Just an incredible, incredible run of success. For those of you who think it's a failure because he hasn't won a World Series since 09, there is nobody else in the industry who looks at it that way, what he has been able to do. But he said something yesterday that should scare the hell out of Yankee fans and worry Major League Baseball. It is a trap that as a front office, you have to not fall into. He said, hey, we can't control the timing of Aaron Judge. He's our focus. We've been having conversations. We've made offers. He's made offers. He knows exactly how badly we want him. Our owner said he wants him to be a Yankee for life. However, we can't control his timing. That's true. But think about how much control Aaron Judge has over the on-field fortunes of the Yankees. What if Aaron Judge doesn't make a decision until other outfielders are off the board and pitchers are off the board and the main free agents who the Yankees would want to bring in because they've got the payroll capacity because they want to try to win their first World Series since 09. What if Judge leaves him at the altar? It can be a double Yankee screwing because they've got this money allocated to Judge and if they don't give it to Judge, they want to reallocate it elsewhere. And Brian Cashman basically came out and said, there's nothing we can do. And I have a different view. There is something you can do, Brian, and here's what it is. Make your last and final offer to Aaron Judge if you've got the cojones to do it. If you've got ownership support and you know you're overpaying for Judge and rumors are everywhere, obviously from agents, that Judge is gonna get nine years, which is patently absurd. But let's say nine years at 40 million a year, 
let's say that's what he ends up getting, which it can't be, but just say he gets 360 over nine. If you're the Yankees and you know that's what Judge wants, you go as high as you're willing to go, but be willing to walk away because you have other offseason plans. The Cardinals did fine without Pujols. Teams do okay. You should be looking at the total amount of money your ownership is spending of the team you love, not a particular player. So let's say you're willing to give Judge $340 million. All right. You go to Judge. We have $340 over, te- over 10 years for you, let's say, make making up a number. I need to know within 48 hours. And I'm serious about this because if you say no, we are going a different direction. What a player does when they hear that is they go to the other teams who they're talking to and they try to get last and final offers from those other teams so they can then figure out where the most money is and then make their decision. But in order for that leverage to actually happen, you have to have the first team make the demand of the player and make sure that demand has consequences. Sadly, most teams aren't willing to do it because they don't want to offend their player. Because the first thing the agent says when you go to a player and say, here's the offer, you've got a day to decide. The agent says, that's how you want to treat the player? Do you think that's really showing the player how much you want him and need him and love him and how much he means to your organization? He's got a party he's got to go to. He's doing stuff with his family. He's going to a football game. You can't ask him to make a decision. This is a career-long, life-changing decision. You can't give him a day. And to that I say, Horsaki. Aaron Judge is not thinking about where he wants to be today. He knows exactly what he wants to do. He's always known what he wants to do. You think that Jacob DeGrom, just on a side note, like woke up one morning and said, you know, how about Texas? No, his agent met with Texas and said, hey, he'll go to Texas, but it's gonna require a five-year deal to do it. It's all planned and organized perfectly by the player representatives. And in order to make things fair, you have to act that strictly if you are on the team side but unions count on management not doing that. And in baseball, we see time and time again, teams who are not disciplined, teams who are willing to pay more than they need to because they want something done prematurely, like now. It's the off season, folks. Winning the off season, it's fun, it feels good, but guess what? The overwhelming odds are you're not gonna win the World Series. There's a 29 30th chance that you are not winning the World Series next year. And you're gonna have the players for years and years and years, or you're gonna have to trade them and get pay for them to leave. Oh, it's a whole thing. Aaron Judge is deciding likely, right, between the Giants and the Yankees. It's weird. You had Cashman talking about Judge. You had Fairhan, who's the GM and president of baseball operations of the Giants. He's talking about Judge. He said, those conversations are continuing. We're just trying to put our best foot forward. The process continues. But obviously, we have really, really strong interests. We thought it was a really productive visit a couple weeks ago. Brian Cashman has to comment. Listen, if Aaron Judge signs somewhere else, do we pivot and do something else? Do we remake ourselves completely? I have no idea. Of course he has an idea. They've got a plan B and a plan C and a plan D. I never understood why 
GMs would speak about free agents until I was running the team. And then it was very, very clear. I wanted excitement in my market. I wanted them to know, hey, we're in, we're trying. We're gonna make an offer that it's, if he doesn't accept this, what do you want me to do? What else can I do? Here's the downside. When you tell your fan base what you're doing, like Farhan did in San Francisco, and Judge goes to the Yankees, Giants fans are gonna say, hey, you had that money allocated, why don't you spend it on three different players or two different players? And the answer is, you then have to tell your fans, no, no, that was just special money for Judge. So we were always chasing our tails when we would try to use the public, sort of the media, to make our fans happy about what we were doing or try to explain and rationalize our existence. We always knew that there was short-term arguing that we were doing, hey, we're in on this guy, we're in on that guy. But then long-term, if we're not gonna get the guy and we're not gonna reallocate the money, we're gonna have more explaining to do. But again, when you're dealing with PR, I get it. When you're in the front office, you don't worry about tomorrow's bad news. You worry about taking care of today's good news. So we're gonna keep at it with these winter meetings. There'll be more signings. We'll do an emergency pod maybe if judge signs, but we'll likely keep touching on it every day as these winter meetings continue through this week. And as these free agents begin to come off the board more and more. The landscape in baseball is certainly changing and we got it for you here on Nothing Personal. All right, when we come back, I watched a movie that uh, needs to be discussed and then we're gonna talk some football because I did it, right? I said I wouldn't do it and I did it. I watched Deshaun Watson. We'll be right back. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Love collecting things? Time to add Goat Guns miniature models. These gun models are one-third to scale and one-tenth the cost of the real thing. These little bad boys are 4 to 11 inches in length and weigh up to one full pound. Build, collect, and customize your Goat Guns collection with attachments. Build your dream collection at GoatGuns.com. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. I'm David Sampson. Missed you yesterday. Thanks for being back with us today. Thanks for rating, reviewing. Please subscribe to our channel on YouTube and tell your friends about Nothing Personal. Keep giving me movie suggestions. We are in the best time of year, not just for free agency or for building your team or the fact that we have NFL playoffs coming up. No, it's Oscar time. So many movies to see, so many good movies. I wanna review one of them. It's called The Triangle of Sadness. If you haven't heard of it, it's available for either rent or purchase for 15 to $20 on wherever you're streaming, Amazon or Apple, doesn't matter. It's a movie that stars Woody Harrelson and Charles B. Dean. It's a movie that is incredibly bizarre. So here's the story. It's about people who find themselves pretending they're Gilligan. So I don't wanna give it away, except to say there may be a three hour tour, except to say there may be a survivor aspect, as in the game show that I was on, to this movie. 
Woody Harrelson has become, and, and side note, rest in peace, Kirstie Alley from Cheers, who passed away yesterday, only at 71, short illness with cancer. That is too young to die. Forgetting her Scientology, all I can remember right now is the comfort of seeing her on Cheers walk into that bar. Look who's talking the movie. So many different things that she did. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So Woody Harrelson, who started off as this sort of bumbling idiot on Cheers, this adorable guy, has turned into this major character actor. This chapter in his career, he's a serious actor who gets very interesting roles, who makes very cool choices. He's not the major star of Triangle of Sadness. He plays the captain of a yacht, but he plays it in this over-the-top way. And one of those memorable scenes of the movie is when there's bad stuff going on on the yacht. It's what he and one of the passengers are doing. And suffice it to say, there may not be much acting involved, but there's a lot of drinking and drugs. Maybe they didn't do drugs, but they certainly got hammered. The movie itself is worth watching. People are very, very interested in this movie because they either love it or hate it. So it sort of reminds me in that way, The Shape of Water, the Oscar award-winning movie where people either loved it or hate it. I don't view this as such a binary movie because it's so interesting that even if you don't love it, you will appreciate it. So I think there's either a like it or a love it. I don't think anyone's going to hate it. It's called The Triangle of Sadness. The star of that, by the way, Charles B. Dean, is uh, she passed away right after the movie was made. At 32 years old, she got a lung infection. So what you're seeing on screen is her last acting job. There's a lot of tragedy out there. Carpe diem, folks, please, carpe diem. All right. We had a week of football. I know it's Tuesday, but the week just ended with the Buccaneers beating the Saints on another fourth quarter drive by Tom Brady. They didn't cover, which stunk for us. We were trying to go undefeated with our four picks. But I was watching the the foot, football and World Cup and trying to pay attention to everything. It's such a huge amount of sports to watch. One of the things I was focused on was Deshaun Watson. And what I was focused on is what reaction he would get and I knew that he'd be booed in Houston because if I were a Houston Texans fan, I'm going to be relentless. But I was also interested in what a $230 million quarterback looks like who hasn't played in 700 days. And I realized that what he looks like is me playing quarterback. What do you think Jimmy Haslam was thinking, the owner of the Browns, watching his team? Now they won, but they didn't win because of Watson. I wonder whether he was watching Watson play saying, we're good. He hasn't played in forever. Rationalizing poor performance. We are so good at that in the front office. When we have scouted someone who we think is going to be good and then they're bad, we dismiss it as they're injured or they are not in shape or that it can't be that we misevaluated their overall talent. Right? Haslam is not going to say that Sean Watson's not the best quarterback in history. He gave him the most money. He created all these issues, the possible collusion of football with owners saying we're never giving quarterbacks that again, that level of guarantee. But after a game, you're not evaluating Watson if you're the Browns, not even after two games or four games. You get to say the rest of this year, if the Browns don't do well or if Watson doesn't do well, you get to dismiss his performance as an anomaly because he didn't have training camp, he was suspended, and he hadn't played in so long. 
next year it comes back if he has another bad year you say hey you know we got him three more years it's a five-year 230 million dollar deal he's just getting his feet wet all the distractions of all the lawsuits you keep kicking the can of rationalizing down the road we all do that in our lives don't we I do that in so many different places, right? You kick the can. You're not willing to admit that your viewpoint is wrong or that your analysis was wrong or that your assumptions were wrong. You're only willing to say, hey, it all works out in the end. And if it's not working out, it's just not the end. We say that about players all the time. We say it about relationships all the time. But at some point, you have to realize, man, we screw that one up. And that's when you release a player. The Panthers looked at Baker Mayfield and they said, I got to tell you, forget the juice not being worth the squeeze. Like this guy just sucks. We're getting rid of him. Baker Mayfield, one of the great disappointments, I would say, in football. Gone. Is he going to be a 49er? If you're a 49er fan and you've won five games in a row and your number one quarterback, Trey Lance, is out for the year, your number two quarterback who you were trying to trade, Jimmy Garoppolo, who came back and was dominating, got hurt, he's out for the year. You have the Mr. Irrelevant as your quarterback. That's an expression, for those of you who don't know, for the last pick in the NFL draft. I don't mean the last pick by your team. I mean the last pick total. That was their starting quarterback yesterday who led the the Niners to a win over the Dolphins. Do you go with him when you've made the trade line trade deadline acquisition of McCaffrey, when your team has won five in a row, when you're a legitimate Super Bowl contender? Do you stay with Mr. Relevant, Brock Purdy, or do you say, hey, let's go after Baker Mayfield? Hear me now, Coca. This is sort of an extra wait to see because we're going to get to a wait to see later in the show. In the next few minutes, Baker Mayfield is not going to the Niners. If you are the Niners, you cannot bring Baker Mayfield in. He's a distraction. He's ineffective. Other than that, he's perfect. So book that. Wait to see when we tell you something's going to happen. If it happens, great. If it doesn't happen, we revisit it. And we do revisit everything. Coca, did you release the list of all wait to sees plus picks of the day? plus movies that were reviewed. I thought I saw you do that on Twitter. I don't know if we can do that on another place where people who don't have Twitter can see it, but I get all these requests all the time to see what our wait to sees are or what our movies that we've reviewed if people are looking for movies. Let's talk about that after the show, okay? All right, back into it, ready? Two, six, 69. Nothing personal pick of the day. We gave you four picks on our show on Friday. We had the Grizzlies over the Sixers, that one on Friday. Sadly, the Netherlands beat the USA on Saturday. We picked it. World Cup, side note here, Coca. Are you still watching the World Cup now that the USA is out? I am. I am hook, line, and sinker all in. I'm not all in on Ronaldo going to Saudi Arabia, but I'm all in on watching these games. If you are a fan of the USA, you have to be proud. This is like the second youngest team or the fourth youngest team in the whole World Cup. We're hosting the World Cup in 26. Netherlands was just better. We need better offense. But man, what a run. I saw on social media people saying, oh, we're disappointed. Should have been better. It was an okay showing. You made it out of the group stage at the World Cup. You got to the knockout round when you weren't favored to do so. 
Ah, man, that's a good run. But we picked Netherlands over the USA. Yesterday, on two days ago on Sunday, I watched the Bengals and the Chiefs. Remember we told you about that Patrick Mahomes contract? That contract where he wins all this money for being the Super Bowl MVP or the league MVP? Meanwhile, he can't beat Joe Burrow and the Bengals. The Chiefs, who are supposed to be the team of yesterday, today, and tomorrow, they're not even the best team in the AFC. The Bengals beat him again, 27-24. We had that nailed for you. Remember we told you that was a sucker bet? When we say things are sucker bets, get on it. The Bengals were getting two at home, but people were scared to take them because it was against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. The Bengals are good. And then last night, I don't want to talk about it. We had the Bucks covering three and a half over the Saints. Whatever. They only won by one. We are 141 and 118. All right, tonight, let's talk about the Lakers. Anthony Davis put up double nickels. Two weeks ago, Lakers are done. What do we do? Fire ham. LeBron's over the hill. Let's focus on when he's going to beat Kareem's all-time scoring record. AD's injured. Westbrook stinks. He's coming off the bench. Two weeks later, the Lakers are almost the number six seed. They've got to add at the deadline. Russell Westbrook has taken that role as the sixth man, and he is the best influence in the locker room on the court. He has taken that bench, and he's made them their own unit. Anthony Davis is the MVP of the league. He's going 30 points, 10 rebounds every game. Forget Luka. Forget Jokic. Our guy is AD. LeBron's finally got the help he needs, and he's got the big three. They're back. It is so funny what fans do. We're all so fickle, aren't we? How hard is it to run a team dealing with an audience that is that fickle? Man, I'm not asking for you to play a violin for me or anything, but let me tell you, it's not easy. But I'm on the Lakers bandwagon. Lakers plus four and a half against the Cleveland Cavaliers and Donovan Mitchell. Now, if there's load management tonight, I'll be pissed because I think the Lakers are plus four and a half with everyone playing. I mean, the Cavs have been great. Donovan Mitchell's been one hell of an ad for them. That said, we're taking the points. All right, something happened in the NBA yesterday that deserves your attention. And this happens way too often. And I want it to stop. Unfortunately, it's not going to stop. Maybe ever. Leaks are a part of the game. They're a part of the world. Leaks happen in Washington. Political leaks happen. They happen in your business. There are people talking at the water cooler. There are people who have information. It's called insider information on Wall Street. Leaks happen in sports. I've told you that I'm the author of many leaks when we're trying to manipulate a market. When we're trying to get information from someone in the media, we give them something, we get something in return. It's all part of the rules of engagement. Yesterday in Atlanta, there was a big hubbubaloo about Trey Young, their superstar, and their coach, Nate McMillan. Apparently, Trey Young has Nate McMillan in his crosshairs. After having had the previous coach fired, Nate McMillan is the current coach of the Hawks. Nate McMillan got a four-year deal this past season, so he apparently was the choice of Trey Young to coach this team. Because make no mistake, Trey Young is in charge of the Atlanta Hawks, not Jamie Gertz. If you know, you know. Watch the lottery with the Hawks. You'll know what I'm talking about. Trey Young is hurt. Trey Young doesn't show up at a game. Word comes out 
that Nate McMillan and Trey Young had a fight. Their odds, Trey Young doesn't like Nate McMillan. Trey Young stormed off and chose not to support his teammates at a game. A member of the media goes up to Trey Young and gives an interview. In the interview, he says, hey, what happened? Why weren't you at the game? It was a Friday night game a couple days ago. Trey Young said it's private. The story leaked. Don't know how it leaked, but I'm not going to talk about it. We're a family. It was private. It was taken care of privately. But hey, Trey, how do you explain why you wouldn't be at a game? It's private. I don't need to tell you. Hey, Trey, let me give you another chance. No matter how hurt you are or what fights you may have had with a player or a coach, why would you not support your teammates? I told you once, I told you thrice, I'm not talking about it. When you've got a situation where your star player is having a problem with the coach and it goes public, as a front office, you've got to meet with the coach, you've got to meet with the player, and you've got to meet with the team. And what you're doing is, A, you're taking care of the situation, B, you're making sure they know how to deal with the media. The way Trey Young should have dealt with the media is the following. Listen, we spend a lot of time together. There are things that happen. Arguments, just like you have in your family or in your business. Unfortunately, our arguments are played out in the public square. I had a disagreement with my coach and I made the decision not to go to a game and I was wrong. Instead, Trey Young came off looking petulant. He could have ended it by just subjugating his ego and saying, I didn't show up to the game, but I should have. Nate McMillan meets the media. He's been prepped and he has a perfect media session. He says, folks, this happens all the time. You just don't hear about it. And he's right. There's fights on the team plane. I've told you about that. There's fights in the locker room. I've told you about those. There's discussions, there's disagreements, there's loving, there's punching, stuff happens. Unfortunately, this went public. We're good. I spoke to my team, we've moved forward. Nate McMillan had it nailed until he kept going. And Nate McMillan ended his press availability off script by saying, by the way, one more thing, I'm the coach of this team. As a coach, I would never tell a player not to go to a game. There is stuff out there that says that I told Trey Young that if he can't be part of the team, then just leave and don't come tonight. I would never say that to a player. I didn't say it to a player. It's all horse hockey. He threw Trey Young under the bus making it all Trey Young's decision not to show up at the game by saying, I didn't tell him not to go. That means that I wanted him to go. You know that he wasn't there. That means it was his decision not to be there. And by it being his decision, that's his problem, his fault, and that's the issue we're dealing with. And by the way, that's totally true. But you don't need to say it to the media because then Trey Young is on the defensive as your superstar, where he's now asked by the media, hey, your coach said he wanted you there. Your coach didn't ask you not to go, which means it was your decision. Why did you make that decision? So it goes around and around and around. 
when you've got an internal problem on your team, cut it off at the blood source. How does this end? When you've got your star player who doesn't get along with your coach, you know very well. It ends with the coach being fired. Wait to see, add it, Coca, my second of the day. Nate McMillan will not be coaching the Atlanta Hawks next year, despite his long-term contract. Because Trey Young isn't going anywhere. He signed a five-year, $200 million deal or something. And the Hawks are going to choose the player, not the coach. It will be the second coach gone from the Hawks under the Trey Young period. Nate McMillan, gone. Why? It's just business. This is nothing personal. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.